Hello, and welcome again to the Here and Now podcast from Federated Hermes. I'm Linda Dissel, Senior Equity Strategist. And today, I'm joined via phone by Martin Schultz, Managing Director of International Growth Equity. Today, we're going to discuss the opportunities in international markets and one particular area of interest, electric vehicles. Martin, why is now a good time for investors to think internationally? Well, thanks, Linda. Um, look, the U.S. has done exceedingly well. Uh, the markets in the U.S. have done very, very well, in fact, relative to the rest of the world. And it reminds me a lot of the 19, late 1990s when I first got involved in the business. Um, and it was a time when the U.S. dollar was strong. It was a time when, um, obviously, innovation and other factors and, and flows were very strong. But we're in that same very similar situation right now where I'm not calling for an Internet bubble of any stretch of the imagination, but we are seeing that uh, it's been tough as an international investor the last few years. But it reminds me of the late 1990s when for that next decade, it was a period in which if you weren't diversified, it would have hurt you. And uh, so we are seeing valuations obviously be much uh, better, richer in the U.S., better outside the U.S., we're also seeing dollar weakness starting to uh, basically after the Trump tax cuts, we saw a strength in the dollar and, the, and obviously the Chinese tariffs. Other reasons why the dollar strengthened, as you may recall, if you are invested abroad and the dollar strengthens, it, it, it goes against you. And it, when it weakens, it's, it's, for, it's better for you as an investor. And so um, we see also the global synchronized recovery being very, very positive for international investors as there's this risk off movement. And so we actually feel that uh, global investors are starting to look abroad, particularly in the emerging markets where they see better opportunity. Uh, well, you bring up an interesting point about the U.S. dollar. And I mean, uh, U.S. has been the way to invest, hasn't it, for quite some years now. And doesn't the dollar go in long stretches of bullish or bearish uh, time frames? Are we, in your view, headed towards a, a longer period of a, of a bearish U.S. dollar versus the rest of the world that would really want us to highlight international investing? We probably we feel that we probably are in that early stages, if you will, of a dollar decline near term. Again, if you look at history, you just mentioned that these cyclical uh, kind of components to the dollar, uh, generally they go between five and seven and sometimes nine years of either dollar outperformance or underperformance. And so um, obviously, as I just mentioned, there are a few catalysts that uh, kept the dollar at higher levels recently than they probably otherwise would have been. Um, we've, we do feel that we're in those early innings, if you will, of further dollar depreciation. If you think about what the U.S. Fed is doing, obviously putting so much liquidity out there, lots of liquidity in the international markets, and that means there are lots of dollars. And so the dollar strength will probably dissipate over time. And we do feel, and, and again, it doesn't mean it's in a straight line, right? At the end of the day, you do see near-term blips of uh, dollar outperformance or underperformance, again, relative to that the under, underlying trend. Um, but we do expect that the dollar for the next several years will be on a declining trend. And that'll be a tailwind for international. And I know, Martin, that you are involved in both developed and emerging markets. Do you favor one or the other more now versus what you're seeing in, in the trends and valuations? Well, that's a great question, Linda. Um, we actually are seeing, so we use a top-down country allocation process that really identifies those markets and those regions we feel will outperform. And what we're seeing really, it, it, first time in a long time, on the one hand, we're seeing that Japan is starting to be a little more interesting and Southeast Asia, 
But I really, the, the, the biggest takeaway is that the emerging markets are currently the highest proportion or the highest focus, if you will, of our top fund country allocation process. What that means is we're looking for those markets that are undervalued and have the least amount of risk. And in that context, we are at the highest level of emerging markets exposure we've ever been since the late 1990s. And so on the one hand, Asia obviously has done fairly well, um, but we are seeing that uh, potentially places like Latin America, for example, will see a recovery trade uh, and where we see some opportunity. And so probably the biggest takeaway is the EM piece of it is much more attractive at the present time. And uh, that's very, very interesting too, because I know, I know we hear about the Eurozone area being one that maybe is, uh, the valuations are very enticing, but then then we're also, I think, hearing about COVID setbacks over there and how the United States is really racing ahead in terms of getting past all this. Does that have any effect on your views towards the Eurozone and maybe taking, taking some exposure there with the valuations being uh, historically rather inexpensive? Yeah, no, you, you bring up a really good point. I haven't brought up the uh, European Union and the EMU. Um, we actually are, do feel that the EMU has some valuation support, and you're absolutely right. Uh, there's currently delay, if you will, in the way and, and manner in which um, the rest, different regions of the world, if you will, are going to extricate themselves with the COVID pandemic. And uh, there have been some setbacks, but we do expect that this is just a delay. And so for Europe, um, we are specifically more focused on non-EMU uh, markets. And so markets such as Switzerland or the Nordics that are more open to international trade where we expect to see a continued boom uh, happening. Um, and so uh, EMU is uh, basically European Monetary Union is obviously cheap. It is actually more cyclical as well. And so uh, while we're staying away from some of the financials, we are invested in a lot of the companies that have global ties and trade. And so the EMU is definitely a value play. And it's a place that we also see some opportunity, just not as much as we are currently seeing in other regions of the world. And with the emerging markets, of course, we know that China is the second largest economy in the whole world. They were the epicenter of the of the COVID. They were they started the their shutdown quicker. They were more draconian. Maybe got out of it quicker. Uh, and when you speak of emerging markets being towards the top of your favored list right now. It goes, I suppose, it goes well beyond China as an investment, does it? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so obviously China, uh, particularly the emerging markets context is now more than 40% of the emerging markets index. If you just think about that 10 years ago, it was less than 10. So big changes there. Um, we have been slightly underweight China, but we have seen, and as you mentioned again, this COVID kind of transition, they were the first in, first out, so to speak. Um, and so they recovered more quickly. Now we're seeing the rest of the world, particularly the US recover, and then we're gonna see Europe and the rest of Latin America and those regions recover as well. But um, from the perspective of uh, valuations, growth and potential, we do see that probably other regions in Asia, so Southeast Asia, uh, places like Singapore, places like Indonesia um, have some opportunity, but we all are, so as I mentioned earlier, focused on Latin America. Um, obviously, Brazil is having its issues with COVID right now, uh, but we do feel that um, the longer term consumption um, play, if you will, and some of the other great stocks that we can find in those regions um, have upside. And so Latin America is kind of a delayed play, a recovery play relative to China. But uh, yes, we're, we're looking there as opposed to uh, China right now. 
Yeah, and of course, Martin, you remind us that when we speak of investing internationally, so many regions around the world and so many different kinds of opportunities, uh, which we really do appreciate your expertise and also and also your 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 value. Excuse me, a growth manager. Forgive me, a growth manager. And uh, I know here in the United States, and I think around the world, we're talking about a potential value rotation. But now I want to bring into our discussion the exciting innovative growth areas that many of us are talking about, the, uh, the advances being made, changing of our lives, and electric vehicles in particular. And in so far as the growth in this area is concerned, and where is it, where is it really strongest? If you were really, really wanting to invest in this brand new, uh, brand new electric vehicle wave and the infrastructure surrounding its use, what are your thoughts there as it relates to international investing? So obviously the U.S., particularly in the case of Tesla, obviously really started the, the electric vehicle wave, if you will. Um, but um, there are regulatory and other f- factors at play outside the U.S. And really, if you look at the opportunity set um, and, and we're, we look at the entire supply chain, right? So when we visit our companies in Asia or in Europe, um, we are finding companies that really uh, everything from mining uh, to the components, to the battery, to the actual uh, manufacturing of electric vehicles is, is really the whole continuum of, of the process that we're looking at. And so it's kind of the picks and shovels approach. And so, yes, Tesla is the, the big behemoth on the block. I can tell you a quick story. I was meeting with uh, BMW management years ago, not one of our holdings. And um, interestingly enough, uh, they were extraordinarily frightened by what was happening across the pond in the U.S. with Tesla coming out of nowhere. And really, the automotive industry, which historically been dominated by industrial production, um, was now all of a sudden becoming more of a software-oriented um, uh, paradigm. And so um, we, we noticed then that, uh, you know, even on the, in, in Europe, we had companies that were frightened of the potential future and the competition that was coming. And that competition now has actually moved to Asia to some degree. Now, it doesn't mean we can't find opportunities in Europe as well. I think, um, you know, a lot of the big uh, automotive OEMs in Europe are doing very well um, um, to, to, to give, give you an example. But um, really in China and in Asia, particularly in South Korea, we're starting to see companies that have a battery technology that have a, provide a lot of the components and a lot of the inputs, if you will, for that longer term EV uh, trend that we are expecting to continue to move forward. And so innovation is something that historically you wouldn't think of the emerging markets of being, um, you know, a big at the forefront of, but that's changed in the last five or 10 years. And just if you look at the emerging markets generally, they used to be dominated by, you know, financials, by materials companies, by utilities, um, and that has changed dramatically over the last 20, 20 years. And so we're now seeing companies that really are at the innovation front. And so we obviously in America have to be much more competitive, but it is more of a global environment where it's the Europeans, the U.S. and the Asians that are fighting for dominance in this particular industry. Um, so other areas of innovation that you might uh, entice us out there in the world? Yeah, you know, uh, obviously uh, on the biotech side, um, there are also some interesting companies coming out of Asia. E-commerce, um, you know, we know about the fangs in the U.S., but there's some fairly large, bigger players um, outside the U.S. Whether, and, and they're in Latin America, uh, they're in Southeast Asia, they're in Asia um, uh, that have this e-commerce focus. They have a fintech attached to it. 
Um, you know, and we've been invested, for example, in a company, believe it or not, in Africa, uh, that was really at the forefront of uh, pay, basically fintech uh, pay technology uh, from the telecommunications side. So it's really interesting how innovation has really now become much more uh, really ad, really come across the world to be globalized. Uh, it's not just coming out of Silicon Valley. Obviously, that really is still where it's 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 important. Uh, but we are seeing really a broadening, if you will, of innovation outside our borders. Uh, perfect. You remind us that the, the United States isn't the only country in the world that can have good growth opportunities. And the FANGs are not the only co- uh, companies in the world, are they, to uh, to be invested in for the exciting future that we have. So thank you, Martin. And thank you to our listeners. We look forward to you joining us again on the Federated Hermes Here and Now podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to subscribe to the Federated Hermes channel to get every Here and Now episode, plus our other series, Amplified and Fundamentals, for a global perspective on the issues, challenges, and trends shaping the investment landscape. Views are as of March 25th, 2021, and are subject to change based on market conditions and other factors. These views should not be construed as a recommendation for any specific security or sector. International investing involves special risks, including currency risk, increased volatility, political risks, and differences in auditing and other financial standards. Prices of emerging market securities can be significantly more volatile than prices of securities in developed countries and currency risk and political risks are accentuated in emerging markets. FANGS is the acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, aka Alphabet Stocks. The Morgan Stanley Capital International MSCI Emerging Markets Index is an index used to measure equity market performance in global emerging markets. Due to their relatively high valuations, growth stocks are typically more volatile than value stocks. Value stocks may lag growth stocks in performance, particularly in late stages of a market advance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Federated Global Investment Management Corp.